Welcome back to the We Know Baseball Podcast, part of the We Know Ball Media Group. My name is Ryan. We have a bit of an emergency or that's well, not an emergency in a bad way, just kind of a reactionary uh, episode because today is September 15th, 2023. The baseball season, however much it may be winding down and things may start to solidify themselves, right? You already know who's going to be in the postseason. Let's be honest, right? There's a couple of spots that are up for grabs, but, you know, the Braves, Dodgers, Astros, uh, Twins, uh, Orioles, Ray, like, you know most of the spots. Like I said, there's a handful of teams, and they may make a run, but ultimately those top teams that, that everyone knows are already in, those are the teams that are going to be duking it out at the end of the season. However... As you guys know, I am a unwilling, undying, extremely biased and passionate San Diego Padres fan, born and raised, born and raised in San Diego my entire life as up until college. Move away for college. The fandom never leaves me. And 2023, according to many, in most projections, in most predictions, in most situations, coming into the season was supposed to be amongst the best seasons potentially in the history of the San Diego Padres franchise. Lots of expectations, lots of money spent on this this team. I don't think there was a single person that would call themselves a fan of baseball that could have told you the Padres would finish this season, not just below by below 500, but like, well, well, well below 500. Ask anybody before the season. What do you think the Padres are going to do? Even the Padres haters, right? Even Dodger fans, even... Giants fans, Rockies fans, whatever, whoever, people who hate Manny Machado, people who hated uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. for the steroids thing, people who hated uh, Xander Bogarts, maybe that's Yankee fans. I don't know. None of those people could have told you how or predicted what has unfolded for the Padres in 2023. Even, I'll put it this way, number three in payroll, arguably, again, on paper, the best top four when healthy in the entire sport, as far as batting order is concerned. Expectations to the moon coming from and building off of a deep postseason run just last year and potentially, potentially three or four top 10 MVP finishers on one team. And that is the 2023 San Diego Padres. 
And all those things that I listed off about that team, about this year's team, because the season's not over yet, but it's over. All those things were supposed to culminate together to a potential World Series championship for the San Diego Padres. And theoretically, that made sense. Go through the roster before the season. How could you not think this team was not at least going to challenge the Dodgers for the National League, but it was like going to be Dodgers, Braves, Padres, like top of the National League and the Mets to a degree. But Juan Soto, MVP caliber player, has a top three finish in MVP in his career. Manny Machado, top three finish in MVP last year. Xander Bogarts, a career 300 hitter, uh, on pace, on track to probably get into the Hall of Fame to some degree. Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, his last full healthy season, he had 43 homers, 42 homers in like 100, and it's not even a full season. So again, recapping, Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts, Fernando Tatis Jr., Jake Cronenworth, a two-time All-Star, Ha-Sung Kim, uh, who at the time, or at least the beginning of the year, was listed off as um, you know, a really productive and solid utility guy. Turns out, as far as wins above replacement is concerned, he's actually the most valuable player on the team this year. Cronenworth, Ha-Sung Kim, uh, veteran leadership from guys like Matt Carpenter, Nelson Cruz. Um, I mean, some of the guys I already listed Machado, Bogarts. You have um, a catcher in Austin Nola who had peaks, at least in 2020. And then on the mound, you got Joe Musgrove, all star. You Darvish, all star in the last two years. Last year was eh for him but still a very good pitcher. Um, Michael Waka, sort of unproven, but veteran leader guy that you'll find uh, with a really solid MLB career. Blake Snell, coming off one of his best half, season, half seasons. Like, he played a full season in 2022, but the back half of that year, last season, was maybe the best three-month stretch of his career. And he already has a Cy Young in his back pocket. So you've got that three-headed monster. You've got returning guys uh, in the bullpen of Nick Martinez, who was outstanding for the Padres last year as a hybrid slash setup guy. Robert Suarez, outstanding for the Padres last year as a setup guy, especially at the end of the season. And Josh Hader, who struggled last year, but then seemed to just slide right back into the groove of being the dominant Josh Hader that everybody knows him as in the back end of 2023, or back end of 2022. So here's the point. The point is a lot of expectations, a lot of money, a lot of big contracts. And as, as we all know, as it turns out, the Padres completely flopped, completely floundered uh, this season. And in any projections or predictions, there's no way that anybody actually thought this was going to happen. There's no way. Then you start to see some articles that surface. As it is, like I said, September 15, 2023, people love to just jump and pile on. And I get it. I get it. People love to just, you know, say, I told you so, or, or this is the case, or whatever. They claim that they know. But there's a couple articles that I wanted to go over to just really summarize how 
poor everything is within the Padres organization. I mean, I mean, like literally everything. And I also want to point out quickly that on my channel with my videos, I actually declared the Padres dead and their season over three months ago. Now, this is a video from, let's see the exact date, May 31st. May 31st, 2023. I posted a video on my YouTube channel titled, The Padres 2023 Season is Over. I declared them dead in May. June, July, August. Here we are, basically four months later in September, and the result holds true. Now, before we break down this team, or we get into anything deeper, couple different okay, as you hear my voice come through there, before we break down any of these other things, I wanted to, I just want to make sure that it's at least summarized, right? And the opinions that I had. Now, most people have access to, the, to stats, most people have access to the information that is available on the internet about this team and how they perform, you know, with runners in scoring position and high leverage and all these different things and exit velo and launch angle and ex expected OPS weighted plus all those are great stats. And I, I really, I don't mean to make fun, but like OPS plus all these things, like I don't know how to quantify it. I know what they are. I know how valuable they are. And you could use all those stats to measure the productivity of this team. The problem with a lot of those stats are, Many of them aren't situationally based and even like the most baseline stat of run differential for the Padres shows that they are a plus run differential team. All those stats, however valuable you may find them. And I think some are much better than others in quantifying the value of a player. And some are a little bit meaningless. Despite any quantifiable metric you can find, what those numbers fail to provide and they fail to quantify. And we've referenced this a number of different times on our show, in our videos and everywhere else. Those numbers fail to quantify things like attitude, things like dedication, hard work, focus, discipline, uh, you know, leadership, um, willingness to just battle and at bat grind mentality approach like obviously all of these sort of intangible things and as it turns out with the 2023 Padres any and every one of those intangible things that's almost impossible to quantify they are the worst possible version of those things now again we'll get into these articles here in a minute but terrible attitude from a handful of guys I mean you got Again, these are all things where it's like you watch the game, Machado hits a line drive right at somebody, and it's like, oh, his XBA was 555, and his OPS plus is, you know, in that situation, 110, because his exit velo was 114 miles an hour with a launch angle of 13 degrees, and it's like, dude, forget all that. He hits it hard, it hits the shortstop right in the chest, that's an out. Then you, can, you see the camera flash back to Machado, or a lot of times it's Tatis. Head down, 
slow walk back to the dugout, bad attitude, not locked in. And then like the rest of the game, you know, who knows how it unfolds. But if like that's their first at bat, let's say Machado comes up in that situation with the runner on first and second and no outs and hits the line drive right at the shortstop. Then he's pissed off. Then he comes in, puts his stuff down. Don't talk to him. And then the next half inning, you Darvish just spins like five sliders down the middle. The opponent scores three runs. Now Machado, he's checked out. So his at-bat quality for the rest of the game just plummets. Um, nobody else wants to go through the motions of focusing and trying to come back because that would require extra effort and intensity and players aren't getting quantified for extra effort. They're just getting paid to go out there and go through the motions because that's all they need to do to get those paychecks. So you have a situation like that as an example, and you go through these things and that's the stuff that I started to see with this team at a very, very early stage of the season. There were some rumors that Machado and Xander Bogarts were butting heads. Um, There's rumors that Juan Soto was pretty egotistical. There's rumors that um, these guys aren't being prepared in the proper circumstances. You start to see some videos back in the early parts of the season. I think it was May as well. Padres against the Dodgers. Dodgers are on the cusp of beating the Padres in a particular afternoon game. It's like six to one is the scoreboard. Uh, like top of the ninth and the broadcast camera pans over to the edge of the dugout where you got Tatis, Soto, Machado, and Rugnet Odor. And they're all on the edge. They're all like laughing and their team's about to lose. And it's not that you can't like have joy in your life. It's not that you can't do all those things, right? Don't be unrealistic. But what you can do is notice those types of things and see that the attitude and the effort and the discipline and the leadership and all those different things on this San Diego Padres team was non-existent. And you package that together with, you know, some bad luck for sure. And, uh, a lack of homegrown developed talent from management level, trading those guys away. Uh, there's just zero cohesion within this collective unit. And we'll go through the examples to show you guys exactly why that is the case. So there's an article that came out from Tom Verducci, who's a very respected and uh, noted baseball journalist, reporter, writer. And he quantified the Padres season as much as he could in, into kind of an article in a nutshell. And the art the article's headline is the 2023 Padres are an epic failure, an epic failure. Seems pretty harsh, right? No, not at all. Subheading or subtitle, uh, sub headline, if you will. San Diego had, ho- had all of the individual talent needed to keep hopes of a playoff run. Let me, let me just run that back. Holy cow. San Diego had all the individual talent needed to keep hopes of a playoff run alive, but couldn't put together a, a team effort worthy of one. Exactly what we said. We'll go through the article here. We don't need to read the entire thing, but what we will do is, is touch on a lot of the important parts. But we, we might get most of it because there's this article and another one coming out today, which is the reason for the emergency podcast. Verducci says, the Padres are such an abject 
abject failure, they will stand as a monument to what happens when talented individuals do not play team baseball. The wait is over for the run, quote unquote, we thought might be coming from this team. The Padres, back on September 11th, about four days ago, 66, sorry, 67 and 77. The Padres, 67 and 77, are eight games out of a wild card spot with 18 games to play. Their failure in the finer points of the game is epic. They are 0 and 11 in extra inning games this season. 0 and 11. And they are 6 and 22 in one run games. Additionally, they have never this entire season won four games in a row. Verducci goes on to say, how could a team with the highest payroll in baseball outside of New York and seven silver sluggers, six of whom finished in the top six of MVP voting at one point or another, how could a team like that turn out to be such a disappointing offensive club? This is what happens when there's not enough buy-in towards the greater good over individual numbers. The Potters are the worst team in baseball at hitting in late and close situations, the worst team in baseball at hitting the ball the other way, and the worst team in baseball when it comes to giving pitchers free strikes. There is no excuse for what happened to San Diego. Not bad luck, not injuries. They have five qualified hitters with an OPS plus better than average. Only the Braves and the Phillies have, such, have more such regulars. No, the Padres earned every bit of the underachievement this year. Verducci continues. You want their season in a nutshell? Here you go. They have been lousy at almost every measurement of team offensive baseball. Now, before we get into it, before we talk more about it, and we just wanted to touch on quickly, I put a video on my YouTube channel. May 31st, declaring the Padres season over. Because I saw and noticed and recognized because I have a brain and eyes that the Padres' entire approach was arguably the worst and most selfish approach I've ever seen from any team, situationally or not. I mean, you got Soto just didn't swing the bat for the first two months. Xander Bogarts uh, had a wrist injury and like he was also just chopping everything into the ground. Season high in uh, double plays grounded in two from Xander Bogarts this season. Manny Machado started off egregiously bad in consideration of how he performed last season with like a broken ankle for half the year. And then you have other guys on the team like Austin Ola at the time who, as now we find out, had an eye condition and had struggled to see the ball. Trent Grisham, rounding out the bottom part of the order, who, oh my God, he hit three homers in the playoffs last year. He, talk about free strikes, right? Verducci referenced the free strikes situation and the Padres' inability to, like, just swing. They just didn't swing. Trent Grisham leading the charge in that category and leading the team in strikeouts looking, just refuses to swing the bat because, 
Oh, it's my approach. I'm a guy who sees a lot of pitches. Well, it's not working, so change it. As Verducci continues, and as my point stands, I noticed it early on. This team was selfish as hell. They didn't care about anybody but themselves, and their approach was terrible. They weren't getting in the box on time. The pitch clock was speeding them up beyond belief. They were terrible against velocity, terrible at taking the ball the other way. All things that these other teams excel at. Excel. Braves, uh, Dodgers, Phillies, etc. Here's the Padres MLB hitting ranks uh, out of 30 teams. So there's 30 teams in the major leagues. This is their ranking in those categories. Late and close situations. Now, if I remember correctly, this is a category and a situation that's quantified on baseball reference. And it's like uh, games or at-bats or situations where it is the seventh inning or later and the score is within either two or three runs. I can't remember. Let's say three runs for just the sake of just pace here late and close situations seventh inning or later three run game the Padres rank 30th high leverage situations I think that's a similar type of situation it may be eighth or ninth inning it may be two one or two runs maybe runners scoring position all those things combined potentially not sure high leverage rankings for the Padres 30th opposite field hitting 30th called strikes on them as a team 30th Opposite field hits, 29th. Runners in scoring position, 26th. Runners on base, 25th. Two outs and runners in scoring position, 24th. Worst hitting teams in late and close situations since 1969. And this is batting average. 2022 Angels last year were the worst team in baseball history in late and close. And the second worst team in baseball history is this year's Padres. They're hitting 194 in late and close situations. Perducci continues. It's not easy hitting in late and close situations. The rise of deeper bullpens, velocity, and spin have dropped the batting average in those spots from 258 in 2006 to 234 this year so to his point it is harder okay that's fair the four lowest late and close mlb averages in wild card era since 1995 have all been in the past four seasons that said trent grisham with an 096 batting average matt carpenter 121 Manny Machado, 125. Jake Cronenworth, 157. Xander Bogarts, 206. And Gary Sanchez at 212. All come in well below the league average in the big moments. In addition to taking too many strikes and not using the whole field, San Diego's problems include coaching instability. AJ Preller is the only is the only general manager in baseball who has changed hitting coaches in he's changed hitting coaches seven times since 2015. So eight seasons, seven hitting coaches. That's super st uh, stable and solid. Love it. And over those these nine years, the Padres have been last in the majors in hits, last in batting average, and last in on base. So nothing seems to take root. The average Major League Baseball team hits better with runners in scoring position than overall. 
In simplest terms, hitters know that runners in scoring position spots, they and their team can be rewarded by just putting the ball in play. Whereas lower leverage situations, right? Nobody on, one guy on first base, one out early in the game. Lower leverage situations encourage selling out for more extra base hits. Want to hit doubles, want to hit homers. Padres have an inverse profile. They are actually worse with runners in scoring position than they are overall as a team. What, what if Reducci says, what if we're overrating batting with runners in scoring position? As the baseball's equivalent to the NFL red zone, it's a popular narrative in broadcasts, but does it really matter? How strong of a link is there between runners in scoring position hitting and winning games? Let's check the runners in scoring position rankings of the past six World Series champs. Last year, the Braves won the World Series. They were second in the league in runners in scoring position. The Braves won the year before. They were third. The Dodgers before that, second. The 2019 Nationals won the World Series. They were fifth. And then both the Red Sox in 2018 and the Astros in 2017 were first in the league with batting average runners in scoring position. Reducci continues, uh, what about OPS plus? OPS plus, maybe it's not batting average. Maybe it should be OPS plus. Here are the top five highest OPS plus teams in baseball history since 1969 with runners in scoring position. Number one is the Red Sox to 75. 139 team OPS plus with runners in scoring position. They lost the World Series. So they got the World Series and they lost. The next is the Cardinals. They lost in the World Series as well in 2013. 1969 Reds finished above 500, made the playoffs. The 1970 Braves, 131 team OPS, RISP. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say RISP, by the way, from here on out. RASP, RISP, runners in scoring position. Got it. 131 OPS plus RISP, not a great record for them. But then the 2018 Red Sox, as referenced previously, 131 OPS plus RISP, and they won the World Series. So, as it turns out, if you do well and play well with runners in scoring position, and in even more broad sense, you just conduct your at-bats in a more team-oriented, focused, short swing, almost like a two-strike approach, working to the opposite side of the field, you will get rewarded, not just individually, but as a team. And then... This article comes out today from San Diego Union Tribune writer Kevin Acey, who is tasked uh, from the local publication to cover the local sports team, uh, baseball team, in which case is the San Diego Padres. Comes out today. Titled, headlined. As the Padres season spirals, questions emerge about culture, cohesion, and chemistry. Outstanding. Outstanding stuff. And you start to think about, before we go to the article, right? You start to think, well, how could, how could team chemistry be bad? How, like, what, like what, what contributes to that? And we don't know. We don't have the answers. One guy could be a problem. Multiple guys could be a problem. Two of the big, biggest guys we talked about, Xander Bogarts and Manny Machado, potentially butting heads in the early parts of the season. That could lead to some chemistry issues, culture issues, uh, lack of leadership, 
right? Not having one or two guys to look to as uh, cement cornerstone pieces in the team's clubhouse, locker room, lineup, et cetera, right? You talk about like uh, the Red Sox, right? Winning the World Series uh, back in 13, back in 18, like big poppy, you know, in 2013, um, 2018, you know, you got Mookie Betts, JD Martinez, and Chris Sale. Like these are leaders. These are guys that show up, do the work, produce, and demand excellence of those around them on a daily basis. When you see the offensive metrics from the Padres and you see how poorly they played and performed with and in team oriented situations, Things like culture, chemistry, cohesion, those types of things and those types of words start to trickle their way into the media about a team like the Padres. And it, to, they're used to explain or at least try to explain why they sucked so bad this year. And furthermore, why they sucked even worse in team-oriented situations. Well, if they weren't playing well in team-oriented situations, that that might be like a selfishness. Like, are these guys a bunch of selfish assholes? Maybe. Then the article comes out from Kevin AC today. As the pottery season spirals, questions emerge about culture, cohesion, and chemistry. Done. 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 Subhead. Uh, subheadline. For whatever else needs to be fixed heading into 2024, the most important thing would be their best players performing better on the field. Things are lacking in the Padres clubhouse. Let's go over this article from Kevin AC. Written uh, today, September 15th, 2023. The morning of the final game of a series against the Dodgers at Petco Park in early August was pretty much like every other morning that preceded a Padres day game this season. Just a handful of players, none of them starters, appeared on the field to take grounders hit by third base coach Matt Williams during the voluntary infield workout. It is a reoccurring scene that has roiled numerous veterans Padres players, and none of the days got under their skin like that one. Because the Padres allotted on-field time was, uh, sorry, because when the Padres allotted on-field time was finished, virtually every Dodgers player took the field for some pregame work. Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, everyone. No one knew how often the Dodgers had such a turnout. But they did know they had seen several opponents have showings like that with most of, if not all, of their players on the field before day games getting in work. And that specific morning, with the chance to split a series against their nemesis and one of the best teams in baseball, served as a metaphor for one of the deficiencies that perhaps has not been a direct, or that perhaps has not been a direct cause of Padres losing so many games, but that many inside the organization believed at least contributed to their inability to win more. So let's recap. Day game, August, Padres, Dodgers, series is tied at a game apiece. Early work time comes around. None of the Padres starters are out there. 
early work time comes around for the Dodgers, all their dudes are there. Now, this could be a moral thing. This could be the Dodgers having, I don't know. There's a lot of explanations. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman get their, get their work in. They get their field work done. They work hard. They're diligent. Uh, they're disciplined. And they're great leaders. They don't just lead by example. And I, I know clubhouse chemistry and relationships and personal stuff. Because that's what a lot of people think leadership is. Like, oh, this guy's just like such a boisterous personality and he plays well that's not really the case but they are friendly personable likable and then they work really hard they maintain their high level of play so that that when they do end up having to be a leader off the field guys that they're leading or guys that they're confronting or whatever aren't able to question things like their level of play or their work ethic right so that all makes sense that's where we are at this point and that's what kevin ac is referencing in terms of Padres are missing something. They're missing something. Where, where's Manny Machado? Where's Fernando Tatis Jr.? Where's Trent Grisham? Where's, uh, where's Xander Bogarts? Kevin AC continues on. For whatever else needs to be fixed or tweaked or changed regarding the Padres, and the most important thing would be their best players performing better. There's a belief in the clubhouse that the culture within the team is one that lacks cohesion and a central purpose. It's almost like you can watch them take at bats. You can watch how they play for two months. And determine that these guys don't care about each other and they're selfish. They're at bat. The quality of their at bats is terrible. Their team-oriented preparation and approach is terrible. And that, ultimately, if not changed and fixed in the early parts of this season, would ultimately lead to their demise. It's almost like I made a YouTube video about it because I know ball. AC continues, This does not mean players don't like each other or they don't work hard, those insides say. Multiple players have pushed back on suggestions that there are deep-seated resentments between them. Talked about Machado and Bogarts potentially not liking each other. That may or may not have been true. Probably was true, honestly, and then was resolved. Or at least agreed upon to not be talked about because that, that it is a bad look. The issue, several sources say, they believe, is a lack of engagement. This, according to multiple veterans who have been with the Padres for varying lengths of time, and most who have also played for other teams, is largely born of the team's best players being on their own programs to some extent, and in particular, it is the product of there being an outsized presence who commands the room, a man who has shown the ability to carry a team, but has not exhibited the ability nor inclination to lift it. So he's talking about, like we said, the big four and the rest of the team being selfish. They don't care. They just like they are selfish. They're getting paid They're These guys don't go out to eat together. They don't, you know, do things together. Um, there's nobody. There's nobody in that clubhouse implementing that team dinner. There's nobody sparking the conversation about it. Oh, let's go 
have a team outing. Oh, let's do this. Let's do that. On top of that, you have guys in there that have the potential to do that, have the potential, even if it isn't just team meetings or team dinners or whatever, they have the ability to uh, get, a, get a group together, lead them, be the clubhouse voice, and then play well, right? Guys like Eddie Machado. AC continues. The Manny. Talk about the Padres culture, and Manny Machado has to be the first person mentioned. For the immensity of his talent and on-field contributions, the force of his personality, and the responsibility that comes with a $350 million contract. To be clear, this is not a story about Machado being the problem with the Padres. It is not even as simple as Machado being a problem. Virtually everyone believes the best version of the Padres has Machado performing at his best. He played at an MVP level both 2020, 2020 and 2022, the only two seasons in which the team advanced to the playoffs in the past 17 years. He's been in the major league since the end of 2012, and over the past nine seasons has started more games than any player on any team, and even with the subpar seasons of 2019 and 2023, has compiled the ninth highest war, uh, F war in MLB in that time since 2012. To everyone that demonstrates his dedication, it means he knows how to get himself ready. I know that I've, go, uh, I've gone above and beyond for everyone, Machado said on Wednesday. I will always go above and beyond for everyone. I think everybody knows that. I go out there and I pour my heart and soul into a team. Ultimately, I know what I bring to the team. I know what I've always brought to the team. AC says, that can be enough for Machado. Until it isn't. Maybe if all 13 position players on the roster were possessed of Machado's arm, bat speed, baseball acumen, and innate toughness, there would be no need for the culture. In part, because Machado is a rare talent and such a team with, with 13 Manny Machados would consist entirely of players with contracts like the extension bestowed on Machado in February, that is not the case, and that team does not exist. According to several veterans, what also does not exist is a team with a winning culture. That doesn't include the best players being the hardest workers and those players demonstrating in word and deed to the rest of the team what is expected. To that end, several people maintain there is a leadership void in the Padres clubhouse, at least the kind of leadership the Padres need. There are plenty of people to potentially blame. This could be the result of roster composition by President of Baseball Operations and General Manager A.J. Preller. This perhaps should have fallen on manager Bob Melvin to supersede Maybe this was the responsibility of a group of veterans to fix. However, the contention by several people in the organization is that there is one powerful force that may not be the problem, uh, but certainly has not been the solution of his stature. According to virtually everyone queried in a series of more than 30 conversations with more than a dozen uniformed personnel, including eight players and other members of the organization, there is unanimous consensus that Manny Machado controls the clubhouse and sets a tone and personality for the entire team. This assessment is based on how he is treated, the latitude he is given, and how messages for the team are passed through him from above. It's also based on what multiple players said were his own declarations, though Machado denied that to be the case, same as he pushed back on, many, on such premise of this story. Machado says, I think everybody is a leader. I think we have 26 leaders. I don't think necessarily one person has to take the lead role. I think baseball is a team sport, and it takes everyone. 
told that there was uniform agreement among several teammates that he is the dominant presence in the clubhouse. Machado, Machado did say that's fair. At issue may be the matter of assessing how dominant, how that can dominance can be navigated. Might have been a typo there from old AC. Culture questions. To focus entirely on Machado is a reason for the Padres failed to write their season as any juncture during a wildly disappointing six months would be unfair and erroneous. Agreed. Machado was not the only reason the Padres organization is where it is. From AJ Pillar to Bob Elvin to veteran players, there needs there is a need to figure this out. It is stated, it is the stated intention of some of those players to make inroads on doing so in the season's remaining weeks into the offseason and heading into spring training. Yada, yada, yada. All of Machado's quotes herein are the result of a 30-minute conversation before Wednesday's game, during which he bristled at some of the contentions regarding the team's culture and his part in it while seeming to ponder on a portion of others. He made it clear he does not believe the Padres' culture is a problem, and for that matter, strongly indicated he does not put much stock into the importance of cultivating a culture. Machado says, what is this, college baseball? What is this, high school? Notably, the willingness to answer questions and confirm findings was for some players prompted by their desire for a change in the team's culture and a belief it would have it would help to have the issues come to light. The details shared by players are meant to strengthen a club, not tear it apart. It is nearly universal belief that the Padres clubhouse in the Padres clubhouse that this has been the strangest season anyone has ever experienced in their major league experience. For whatever issues they can identify, there are many issues that cannot get their minds around. It seems everyone remains confused how bad it has been and said the Padres' disappointing results could not be boiled down to one cause. Joe Musgrove was hurt for much, uh, much of the year. Hugh Darvish was not right for more than he was. The so-called Big Four, like we mentioned, Machado, Xander, Bogarts, and Tatis, did not collectively perform to expectations, neither did Jay Cronenworth or anybody else. Potters are 0 and 11 in extra innings, 6 and 22 in one run games, the lack of fight fostered, and blah, blah, blah. We all know this. We know that these guys don't care. Machado is uh, getting asked about it. Obviously, he's deflecting. Obviously, he's not going to probably openly and explicitly and directly go, Yeah, uh, we don't have any fight or leadership. And I haven't done my part. Xander hasn't done his part. Soto is egotistical. Machado has a terrible ad. I mean, uh, Fernando Tatis is like, he's not going to say this stuff, but we can see it. Right. So we can avoid or whatever the questions as much as he wants, but we can all see it. AC goes on to say uh, subtitled should have wanted it more in Seattle. Two nights after the Monday morning scene at Petco, Ramos Dole was on the field. Padres leader Stephen Wilson suffered a bout of wildness, giving up a home run. Yada, yada, yada it was not purposeful. There was, oh, uh, Stephen Wilson, after giving up a home run, hit Teoscar Hernandez with a fastball. It was clearly not purposeful. There was no ostensible reason to be enraged, but a half dozen Mariners players either hopped the dugout railing or charged up the steps and yelled angrily towards him. No one in the Padres' dugout moved. Nobody. Uh, there is wisdom in not clearing the bench. The Padres certainly could not afford to lose players to suspension or injury. 
as they were at the time eyeing a come from behind run to the postseason. However, multiple players acknowledged this was indicative of a lack of engagement. So we don't have to read much more here into this, and we don't have to dive too much farther into it. But for those who are still having a hard time understanding what's going on, I do think this season as a whole, collectively for the Padres, was a perfect storm of everything that could have and will have gone wrong, right? Underperforming from the big four, injuries to starting pitching, uh, you know, lack of leadership, newer wave of talent and high payroll, all the different things that could go into it, lingering injuries for Bogarts, for Soto, for Machado. It all kind of culminated together. On top of that, adding in uh, underperforming, bad breaks, uh, definitely. Uh, but ultimately, those are all excuses. And what it boils down to is this team underperformed. The overall approach from the team as a whole was lackluster, uh, lazy, self-motivated, and in turn, that led to lower levels of productivity, both individually and as a collective unit. And then that culminates into a situation where things aren't going well, leadership fails to put a stop to these slides or lacks of production, and it just continues to snowball the entire year without anybody being able to stop it, and then you find yourself finishing the year 10, 12, 15 games under 500 and missing the playoffs with the number three payroll. So that's where we are. That's what happened. I just wanted to make sure everyone's clear of that and put it on record and to point out once and for all to finally pretty much solve the perplexing issue that was the Padres 2023 season. Underperforming, bad breaks, lack of leadership, lack of accountability, for sure. That comes from outside, from the fans and media in, and within the organization as a whole. And poor roster construction and lack of depth. That sums it up right there. So if you were confused before, don't have to be anymore. That's how the Padres failed to make the playoffs in 2023. And I called it in May. Because I knew if things weren't going to change based on the product and the and the the attitude and the effort and the dedication that I was seeing on the field, combined with the stuff we were hearing about off the field, I knew that there wasn't anything stopping this snowball, brother. It was coming, and no one was going to get in front of it. And here we are, missed the playoffs, uh, third highest payroll in baseball, missed it, out underplaying our uh, FanGraphs projections by like. 30 games. Crazy. Crazy. Second highest, I think second highest, uh, maybe we had the first highest uh, postseason odds on fan graphs as well as like 87% chance to make the playoffs. Zero. Missed it. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Either way, hopefully you guys enjoyed this sort of emergency impromptu uh, episode of the We Know Baseball podcast episode 43 hopefully you guys enjoyed it if you guys aren't already be sure to follow us on social media at ryan knows ball that's my twitter handle at we know ball sports instagram and tiktok we know baseball part of the we know ball media group again my name is ryan appreciate you guys tuning in and we'll catch you guys on the next one peace out